Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. This morning, I'd like to continue in our series, Pictures of Jesus. And I'd like to share a message with you called The Son of Promise. Uh, since it's Mother's Day and we've spoken so much about kids and parenting and, and being a mom, um, you know, and, and, and being a parent, uh, I thought that I would, I would elaborate a little bit on the story of Abraham and Sarah and their son, Isaac, and, and the whole story there that we often read in the Bible. And we know that, that Abraham um, got put through his paces. His, his faith was tested and God developed something in Abraham that was an example to us, that was actually, again, we read the story of Abraham, we read the story of Sarah, we read the story of Isaac, we read the story of the promise, we read the story of the covenant and the blessing, and all these things, and sometimes we wonder how does it fit into our New Testament paradigm and what we know about the gospel, Um, but we discover that this whole story is once again a picture of Jesus. We've said this every week since starting this series, but the Bible is not a book of heroes. It's a book of one, about one hero called Jesus using ordinary flawed people in extraordinary ways. And that is, again, the situation with Abraham, and, uh, and the whole picture is something that points us towards one person in Jesus, and this is what God was doing in the Old Testament he was, it's like when you tell your friends what you're going to go and do this week, God was saying, this is what I'm going to do. Like, watch this. Watch, see how this is going to unfold. God was, was hiding the revelation of the Messiah in plain sight. And all you need to interpret the Bible is the Bible. All you need to know in order to understand the Old Testament is to read the New Testament. It gets revealed through the full picture And we want to be a church that understands the Old Testament in context so that we don't fall into the trap of turning the Old Testament into uh, legalism and laws and principles that we copy and paste into the New Testament. It frustrates me when, when I say, you know, this is what Jesus has done, and then somebody will quote an obscure Old Testament scripture, something like, well, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And I'm like, okay, quote the verse before, quote the verse after. And they're like, oh, no, 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 I've just heard that. I saw it on Instagram. I just thought it would be a good idea to like say that. And I'm like, you know what that scripture is actually about? It's actually about God talking about how his people lost their identity as his people and then began to perish as they began to to give up the truth of who they were in, in God. It's got nothing to do with gaining knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Okay, I perish because I never know. We, and we copy and paste that Old Testament thing. And um, man, sometimes I feel like slapping some Christians when I, <laughs> you quote that scripture to me, you're going to get one because it's not what it's about. But we do that, right? We don't even know. When the next time somebody says that to you, say, what verse is that in? They have no idea. It's just one of these things that we say as Christians And it's a copy and paste Old Testament scripture out of context, which points us away from Jesus and towards, it points at us as our, in our own strength, rather than pointing us to the gospel and Jesus. And as a church, we are passionate about you putting your entire life in the context of the gospel, putting your entire knowledge of God and your relationship with God in the context of the gospel, because without that, you're doing it in your own strength. Without that, you're going to be disillusioned, you're going to be disappointed 
You're going to struggle with sin. You're not going to overcome the things that you long to overcome. You're not going to have the intimacy with God that you long to have because you're doing it in the flesh. You're doing it in your own strength, and the flesh can never please God. It can never boast before God. It can never stand righteous before God. But we try to serve God in our own flesh by taking Old Testament principles and trying to copy and paste them into the New Testament and say, okay, I'm going to live this life. And God's like, that wasn't the point. That wasn't the idea. Look at how from the beginning it's pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. It's pointing. God wouldn't have sent a Savior if we didn't need a Savior. He wouldn't have sent a Messiah if we didn't need a Messiah. He wouldn't have sent Jesus if we didn't need Jesus. And so he gives us promises in the Old Testament about what he would do through his own son in giving us Jesus. And so I want to go to one of those scriptures today, and I'm going to read a few verses here. It's in Genesis chapter number 22. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, uh, which we encourage you to have physical Bibles. Do people still have physical Bibles? I know we've got apps, and I know we've got iPads, and I know we've got all this stuff, but if your battery runs out, and you know load shedding is an issue in our country, and you need a word, what's, what are you going to do? right? You need to get a candle and a Bible, and so, um, and so we encourage you, get a Bible, get some pens, write in it, have something with pages. But Genesis 22, verse 1 says, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. God tested his faith. And I want to say that the scripture often talks about testing faith, but it's not testing in the sense of let's see if he has it or not, because God already knows the ins and outs of Abraham's faith. He already knows what's happening in Abraham's life. The testing of faith, as it speaks about in the book of James as well, is about a proving or a purifying of faith. It, it speaks about a refiner's process, and, and, and it's, and it's the, 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 the act of God developing our faith more than it is God sitting like giving you a pop quiz, let's see if you, oh, let's see if you really have faith. Like God's not trying to catch you out. He's trying to reveal your own level of faith to you and develop it within you. And so God does this with, with Abraham. He says, Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. And so God says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took his two servants with him, along with his son Isaac, then he chopped wood for, the, for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw a place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them walked on together. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, we have the fire and the wood, like, Isaac's like, something's not adding up, okay? He's like, I'm getting a little nervous. Because we have the fire, and we have the wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Abraham, in, in faith, says, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay your hand on the boy, the angel said. 
Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your own son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by his horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yareh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Amazing story that we read in the Old Testament. And, um, and, and, and I can only imagine, because I know the love that I have for my own boys and how I prayed for my own boys and how I in, enjoy them. You know, it's an amazing thing just to be able to delight in your own children and, uh, and to just, just enjoy them as they grow up. And, and you know, this past week, my, my twin boys, they're in grade naught, but they got invited to play in their first rugby match um, with the under sevens. And so Jude is quite, you know, he's, um, I suppose for his age, he's okay, but, but he's this, definitely the smallest of my boys, um, but he's got the heart of a lion. And at one point, there was a mall happening, and Jude just jumped in there, and he collapsed the whole mall on top of his own head, okay? And then uh, he got up, and he had a bloody nose, and he he ran off the field, came straight to me with this massive smile and a bloody nose. He was like, Dad, they fell on my head. <laughs> and he ran back into the game, and he was making tackles and loving it. Lee was a little bit more nervous than me. I'm like, you go do it, boy. She's like, are they going to be okay? Like every mom. But how many of you know that oftentimes, you know, you, you love your kids, that you would kill for them, and sometimes you want to kill them, you right? That's like the... The, the dichotomy that we experience as parents, can't live with them, can't live without them, you know what I'm talking about? But can you imagine having prayed and having longed for a child, and then God says, I want you to take that child, and I want you to sacrifice it, I want you to give it up, I want you to, to end that child's life, and, um, and this is the position that Abraham gets put in, and um, you know, when we think of heroes of the Bible, Abraham is often one of the first ones that we think about. The Bible speaks so much about Abraham and the faith that he had. He's known as the father of faith because of this fact, because he was willing to sacrifice his son, but it's deeper than just that he was willing to sacrifice his son. And I'm going to go into that today. But in the New Testament, it says, contrary to hope, in hope he believed. Contrary to hope. When his circumstances pointed in the opposite direction, he remained faithful to what he believed, to who he believed God was, and to the faithfulness of God. And so we can take some good principles out of the life of Abraham, and that's what, what people often do, but I don't think that's the main point of the story. I believe fully in my heart that this is another picture of Jesus and another promise of Jesus, that the son of promise wasn't just Isaac, but that Isaac was actually a type of Jesus. It was a foreshadowing of Jesus and how God would provide. And so we're going to look at this story of Abraham. And we know that the first part is, is that God calls Abraham out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. He calls Abraham and his father out of, out of that land. And Abraham leaves his home, leaves his comfort, leaves the life that he knew behind in order to go into a promised land, in order to go into a new future, in order to go into a new season and a new destiny. And God promises Abraham, he says, that I will make your descendants like the stars of the sky. You will not be able to number them. And so with a promise, God calls them in the same way. You know, God calls us with a promise. 
He says, I want you to step out of the, the, the land that you've known, the life that you've known, the things that you've put your trust in, and I want you to trust me as I take you on a journey, even though you don't know the next step yet, even though you can't see how it's, gonna, how it's all going to unfold, I want you to believe in me enough and believe in my goodness enough to just follow me when I call you. And so God calls us in the same way that he calls Abraham, and he says, I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey, with wealth and freedom and provision. And I'm going to provide a son for you so that your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. This is the promise that Abraham lives with and lives with and lives with and waits for and waits for. How many of us get a promise and we were like, we, like five minutes later, we're like, is it, is it here? You know, how many, of you, how many of you single guys, you're like, God has promised you that you'll get married and you'll have a great wife. And then you, you're like, you wake up the next morning, you're like, every woman that walks past you, like in Woolworths, you're like, is it, is it you? You know, like... And she's like, leave me alone. Because we want to put God's promises on our timeline, and we want Him to fulfill every promise in the time that we determine rather than in the time that He determines. And so in the same way, you know, God promises Abraham a son, and Abraham just gets older and older and older. And we see Abraham really battling. I want you to know that the father of faith battled with faith. Because there were times when... when when God showed up and said, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. This is 20 years since the initial promise. And Abraham's like, oh God, what will you give me? Like, I have, I, you, you haven't come through in your promise. And he, at one point then, is almost near, he's, he's 90 years old. His wife is 80, and he still has no children. Like, now it's getting to that impossible realm. I don't know if you'd agree with me, but like around 90, you know, it's, it's not looking good. And so eventually Sarah, Abraham's wife, she gets, she gets impatient. And she goes, look, you know, the heir of our house is Eliezer of Damascus. We, uh, we're, we're, this is not happening. God's not coming through on his promise. And so Abraham and Isaac, in a moment of unbelief, come up with a plan of their own to have an heir in their house. And Sarah actually says to Abraham, take one of my servants and have a child with her, then at least somebody of your blood will be able to be your heir of this house. She lost her, her sight of the promise of God and the faithfulness of God. She looked to her own circumstances rather than to what God had promised, and the, and the fact that God can make the impossible possible. And so Abraham ends up having a son with Sarah's servant that they named Ishmael, but God, and, and we do the same thing. Like God has promised us, He's called us, and He gives us promises. And then so many times when it doesn't work out, when it hasn't happened in our timeline, when we feel like God has delayed or God has forgotten, how many of you know that we are like, you know what, God, I'll just figure it out by myself. I'll just do this in my own strength. And so, you know, I, I thought that God would have done it by now, but it hasn't happened. And so I am going to get it done. And then if God wants to jump in later, He can. We do that. We come up with our own solutions rather than resting in the faithfulness of God. I want to tell you that if God has promised something in your life, we rest, we remain patient, we keep our faith, we keep our eyes on Jesus until we have the fullness of every promise that He has given us. We never give up, we never give up hope because contrary to hope, in hope we believe. And that is... But when the moment we go into our own flesh, we start creating things out of the flesh 
We try and make it on our own. The story specifically addresses how we believe often we're made right with God. Because we often want to produce in our own lives what only God can produce. We want to put ourselves in a position of righteousness through our works rather than trusting in the righteousness that comes from God alone. An imputed righteousness. A righteousness that we, this is why Jesus said to the Pharisees, unless, he said to the people, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means see the kingdom of God. But the Pharisees were the most righteous religious people of the day. Followed the law to the T. But Jesus says, you need to get your righteousness from somewhere else. Other than your own strength, your own efforts, your own works. This is the gospel. But we often want to be made right with God in our own strength. And so we try and do it on our own. Like Abraham said, I'm going to do this on my own. And he has a son called Ishmael. And it produced trouble in his life. Ishmael produced trouble. The Bible says he was a wild man who raised his fist against everyone. He raised his fist against everyone because he is a symbol of the product of the flesh. A product of us making our own plans to be right with God rather than resting in God's promise. When you make your own plan, the flesh will be hostile towards God. The Bible says that the flesh is hostile towards God. And you know what the flesh will do in order to usurp God's position in your life? Your flesh will pray. Your flesh will go to church. Your flesh will sing worship songs. Your flesh will post your devotions on Instagram. Your flesh will do whatever it needs to do to show how great it is, as long as you're doing it in your own strength and not trusting in the finished work of the cross. It will be good. Your, your flesh will even pretend to be good. But it's a deception that's usurping God. It's hostility towards God. To do things in your own strength is hostility towards God, which is why God never calls us to redeem our flesh. He calls us to pick up our cross, to put the flesh to death, and to trust only in the finished work of the cross for our salvation and righteousness. Does that make sense this morning? But when you have an Ishmael of the flesh, it raises its fist against everyone, including God. It produces trouble in your life. It's hostile towards God. And so the angel of the Lord at one point appears and reiterates the promise to Abraham, now 100 years old, his wife 90. And he says, you will have a son. And Sarah overhears this. She's sitting in the tent, and she overhears the angel of the Lord saying this. And the Bible says not, and you can go read the scripture to double-check what I'm saying. It doesn't say she laughed. It says she laughed in her heart. Because, you know, when the angel of the Lord appears, you don't openly laugh, right? <laughs> but in her heart, she's like, I'm 90. I'm 90. That is a, you know, when God promises something over your life, and you laugh cynically in your heart, it's a sign to the fact that you've, you've stopped resting in his promise. Oh, God's not going to do that for me. How's that ever going to happen? How many of you have given up on promises God has given you? He would never do that for me. He could never do that for me. And the angel of the Lord answers, and there's a beautiful response. He says to Abraham, why does Sarah laugh within herself? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I also love the fact that even though Sarah didn't have faith in that moment anymore, God was still faithful to his promise. 
2 Timothy 2.13 says, even when we are faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. He's just faithful, just constantly faithful. And so he reignites their belief in this promise that God had made. And he's faithful. And they end up having their own son after waiting 30, 40 years for this child to be born. They finally have their Isaac. And he grows up and, and he's this beautiful boy. And, and, and he, he grows up and finally they have their heir. And then God says, will you take this son and will you sacrifice him? Now, I, can you imagine just, because we just read this stuff like it's a Bible story. Can you, can you imagine waiting that long and then God's like, oh, that son that I promised you, yeah, can you take him and can you just go and sacrifice him to me? Can you give him up completely? Can you trust me to that extent? This was a developing of Abraham's faith. And the amazing thing is, Abraham's like, you know what, God? <laughs> You've always been faithful. Why would you not be faithful right now? I'll take him and I'll sacrifice him. But listen to the words that gets used in this passage, because I find it amazing. He says, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love. And I'm like, did God forget about Ishmael? <laughs> like, did God forget about Ishmael? Why does he say your son, your only son, whom you love so much? Take him. You know why? Because the works of the flesh do not stand before God. This is, a, this is a symbol of the work of the flesh. It doesn't count before God. The Bible says that the flesh will never boast in the presence of God. You can never stand before God and go, look at what I have done, God. I'm so amazing. I read my Bible. I prayed. I led so many people to Jesus. The flesh has no place before God, no honor before God, no dignity before God. But what God produces in the spirit is what counts. It's what carries weight. It's what God honors in your life. And so anything we can produce in our own flesh doesn't get us anywhere in our relationship with God. But when we allow God to produce through our lives, He says, this, this son that you have, the God, Abraham believed in God that He would do what He had promised. And so He goes to the altar and God says to him, I want you to go to the land of the Moriah, to the, to the hill that I will show you. He travels three days to that place. And we know now historically that the place that God was taking Abraham to go and sacrifice his son was the same place where Jesus would be crucified. In essence, God was speaking a prophecy here. He was foretelling the death of his own son. Think about John 3.16 that says that, that God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son, whom he loved. He says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, to the, to the, to the, to the hill that I will show you, and there you will sacrifice him. And, and Isaac is walking up that hill carrying what on his back? Wood for the sacrifice. The same way that Jesus would be carrying the cross up that same hill. Isaac is a foretelling of that. And the Bible tells us that Abraham had faith. He knew that even if he plunged that dagger into his son's heart, that God would be able to raise him from the dead. It tells us this in Hebrews 11.9. It says, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, 
God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It's the picture of God receiving his own son, whom he loves, back from the dead in Christ. Jesus was crucified. He stopped, he stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. You know why? Because God is saying to us that what matters is not your sacrifice in the flesh, but his sacrifice of his son. I don't want you to sacrifice and feel like you need to do what, you know, whatever sacrifices you feel you need to make in order to receive the righteousness and the approval of God because he says, I will provide a lamb for the sacrifice. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was once and for all the sacrifice for all of mankind. We don't need more sacrifices for righteousness. Now, we have sacrifices of righteousness. Once you've been made righteous, we sacrifice as an act of worship. We become living sacrifices, and it's a joy to us to give everything we have to God because we know that He has made us righteous already, but we don't sacrifice in order to become righteous. The sacrifice for righteousness has been made once and for all, and we rest in that finished work. And so I love the fact that, that as Abraham has his hand raised, God says, stop, I'll provide. On this hill, the Lord will provide. Thousands of years later, the Son of God himself walks up that hill and is crucified there as the final sacrifice for all of humanity. He is the spotless lamb. He is the lamb that God has provided. And so it's not Abraham's works that made him right with God, but his faith. Faith in what? Faith in, God, in the God who would provide a son and would provide a lamb for the sacrifice in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Isn't this a beautiful picture? You've got a picture of the Trinity. Abraham has the knife and the fire. And the son is carrying the wood. We have this picture of, of, of God allowing his own son to be put to death as the sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. What an incredible picture. What great love God has for us. Romans 4 verse 1 says, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? How did he discover being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. The flesh would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, not because of their work, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. This is a picture of the gospel. This is a picture of Jesus. We are counted right with God, not because of our work, but because of our faith in Jesus. Incredible scripture. Romans 4.13 goes on to say, Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law. Man, I love this stuff but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. 
So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the Scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you a father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Oh, I could preach on this for the rest of my life. I will, I will, okay? <laughs> it is so beautiful. The reason why Abraham was made right with God and was called the father of faith and the father of many nations is not because he was going to have many, 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 many children, although he did have earthly children, and the entire Jewish nation was born out of, out of the, the children that he had. But God was actually speaking spiritually that he would be the father of faith and that those that have faith like Abraham's, he was, he was an example of what we as believers have today, that we are made right with God through our faith in Jesus, through our faith in the God who brings the dead back to life and creates new things out of nothing. That's the faith. That's the key to righteousness. That's how we are united with God. That's how we are children of Abraham. The Bible says in Galatians, if you are in Christ, you are Abraham's seed. So we are Abraham's seed. We are part of that nation that God foretold, part of those stars in the sky. We are, us sitting here today, are a part of that story when we put our faith in Jesus, not in works. It's so important for us to know that. And so the Bible tells us that the promise of everything that God had promised to Abraham wasn't in Abraham, but in Isaac. It tells us this in, in, in Romans 9, 7, my last scripture for the morning. It says, being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. This is talking about physically. This is talking about in an earthly sense. Being physical descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. And Isaac is just a type of Jesus. In other words, there is a spiritual Israel. There is a spiritual descendancy that we are a part of the moment we put our faith in Jesus. In other words, it's children of faith that are the promise of God. And everything that God promised to Abraham, how all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him, that promise is ours. Everything that God promised to Abraham and promised through the Messiah, Jesus, is ours today because we are those who have inherited the promises of God. We receive that as an inheritance. You don't get an inheritance because you worked for it, because you earned it, because you were good enough for it. You receive an inheritance because of a birthright. And when you're reborn, when you're born into Christ through faith, the entire inheritance and everything that God promised to Abraham becomes yours. Isn't that incredible? We have an inheritance in Abraham and, in, and through Jesus, but the promise wasn't in Abraham physically. It was in Isaac, the son of promise. And it's a picture of Jesus, what we have in Jesus. So it's not in the things that Abraham did, but in the promise that God fulfilled. The promises of God, the Bible tells us, in Jesus, in Christ, are yes and amen. And it tells us that in Christ, we have a resounding yes, a yes that echoes through every part of your life. What is it that you need in your life this morning? Here's my encouragement to you, and the encouragement from the Scriptures is, don't have an Ishmael. Don't try and do it 
in your own strength. Spouses, if you catch your spouse trying to do it in their own strength, just turn to them and say, don't have an Ishmael, right? Don't have an Ishmael. Don't do it in the flesh. Rest in Jesus. Rest in Jesus. Can I be honest this morning? I often need that encouragement myself. You know how passionate I am about building church, about taking a city, about seeing people saved? You know how frustrated I get when I don't feel like that process is happening quickly enough? Lee often has to turn to me and say, don't have an Ishmael. Rest in Jesus. Trust in the promise. He is faithful beyond what you think is possible. And so this morning, I want to encourage you, don't go into the flesh. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus as a community, as, a, as families, as individuals, and trust that God will do. He will make something come out of nothing. He will bring forth life from nothing. That's the God that we serve. And that's the son of promise upon whom we keep our eyes fixed. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together this morning.